Amen. Well, hey, I invite you to pull out your Bibles or your Bible app if you have them with you today and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We are going to be looking today at Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. We are on week number five in our three-month consideration of Paul's love letter to the Christians in Philippi. And this week, Paul takes on the challenge of humble living, holding Jesus up as our ultimate example. I'll begin reading now in Philippians 2 and verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please pray with me. Lord God, we give you thanks for our chance to be gathered together in this space today. We thank you that we have a place to gather. We thank you that our brothers and sisters in Christ surround us as we gather. And we thank you most of all for your invitation to gather, that you are here with us. And so in these next few minutes, as we focus upon your scripture I ask that you'd give us eyes to see just what you want us to see in this text. I pray you would give us hearts that are soft and ready to receive whatever you choose to reveal. Finally, I pray you'd give us conviction that is strong so we can apply what we see and understand to the way we live every day. I pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul opens chapter 2 of the book of Philippians by continuing to talk a little bit more about unity. Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. And by that he means having the same love and living as one in spirit and purpose. Paul is so concerned about the unity of these Christians in Philippi that he says, if you want to make me happy, if you want to complete this joy within me, all you need to do is live in this kind of unity that Jesus has called us to. It's the same idea as the cooperation that we discussed last week. Our gratitude to God is expressed in unity. That's interesting to think about. When we are thankful to God for all that God has done in our lives, one of the most tangible ways that we can express that gratitude is by living in unity with one another. 
And honestly, God will only accomplish his purposes effectively when we are unified and like-minded. Let's be honest, the church in the world today isn't known for its unity. We're not known for being like-minded. We're known for squabbling. We're known for dividing. We're known for our thousands upon thousands upon thousands of denominations. We're known for fights over carpet colors in our sanctuaries. We're known for divisions, and yet we can see here how powerful it is when the church chooses to live unified by one person, by Jesus Christ, who he was and what he chose to do for us. The unity of the church is sorely needed in this world, and we make Paul's joy complete and we warm the heart of our Heavenly Father when we choose to live in these ways. Paul continues in verses 3 and 4 to talk about an attitude adjustment. If we thought unity was hard, get ready for this. Paul offers two challenging commands in these two verses. Number one, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves. Secondly, he says, look not only to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. We could summarize these two commands by saying that we are to care about the lives of those around us. We're to put others first. But how easy is that? I think sometimes we desire to live in this way and we think we're living in this way but we're not always living in this way and sometimes that is revealed in crucial situations or circumstances studying this passage reminded me of one of my failings uh, from a long time ago when I was a youth pastor I used to work at a church where I had to show up early in the morning on Sunday mornings and I shouldn't just say I Mandy and I both had to show up super early wearing our work clothes and set up all of these chairs a stage the entire band including a synthesizer all out in the grass so that we could meet together as a high school ministry to worship they had no space for us inside one Sunday we set everything up out there we were in the midst of this incredible worship song when the sprinklers came on now before I even remember making a conscious decision at all, I find myself about 150 feet away outside the spray of the sprinklers only to turn around and realize that my beautiful wife, my volunteers, and the worship team members, they were all sacrificing themselves to save the instruments, to make sure the kids got out of the sprinklers, but where was the youth pastor? Looking out only for himself, off or over on the side of the field. I was so embarrassed. I didn't even make a decision. It was just something that happened, something that was inside of me. And if we're honest, self-preservation is literally programmed into our genes. And it's conditioned into our lives. And for the most part, that's a good thing. Our own sense of self-preservation protects us from a lot of danger. It protects us from doing unwise things. But it also can get the best of us. And we can find ourselves in a life posture that only thinks of ourself, that only thinks of our own immediate family and isn't concerned for the good of others. Paul, in this morning's passage, is calling us to a healthy humility that can keep that self-preservation intact in all of us. And Paul, in verses 5 to 8, offers the ultimate example of that healthy humility. That example is Jesus. And I have to be honest, when I move from verse four to verse five, I can't help but think, Paul, why couldn't you have just stopped at verse four? 
If you just stopped at verse 4, it would seem like some healthy suggestions coming from the Apostle Paul. But then he moves into verse 5 and beyond, and we realize this is serious business. He holds Jesus up as our example of the attitude that we should have, of the mindset that we should have. Our attitudes and mindsets are meant to match Jesus's. And verse 6 begins a description of the classic understanding of the incarnation. These verses are set apart in most of your Bibles. They're indented differently, and that's to reflect the fact that Paul is drawing on a different text. Paul isn't the one who wrote these verses. He's quoting something. Some have suggested it was a poem. Some have suggested it was a hymn that they would sing in their worship services. Others that it was some early form of theology writing out all about Jesus. But whatever it was, the people in Philippi would be familiar with it. So Paul is holding up the example of Jesus. He's quoting something they're familiar with, all to make his point that though Jesus was God, he saw no need to hold on to or to grasp the glory that came with that position. Instead, Jesus made himself nothing, we're told. He emptied himself of all privilege and power. The Greek word that's used there is kenosis. And kenosis' simple definition is giving something up, giving up some status and some power, but I think that emptying himself of all privilege and power is a wonderful definition for what Paul's talking about. He's holding Jesus up in this example of one who literally gave up everything. The amount of relinquishment in Jesus' incarnation is absolutely astounding. He went from being God to being human. He went from being human to being a servant. He went from being a servant to being a sacrifice. What more could Jesus have given up for you, for me, for humanity, or for all of creation? And we often think we're humble or self-sacrificial, but then there are things that we think are beneath us, a little bit like Kyle's dishwashing task. We think we're humble, but then we come across a person or we come across a task and we hesitate because we think, is that really my job? Do, do I really need to be involved with that? Yet Paul makes clear and the Gospels make clear that Jesus saw nothing that was beneath him. And he encountered no one who was beneath him. Which poses a difficult question for us. Do we? Is there anything we won't do? Is there anyone who we won't serve? Honestly, none of our talk of humility means anything until it is road tested in this way. Paul finishes this section in verses 9 to 11 with a therefore. And the therefore always reflects backward. And then in the forward verses that come after it gives us a summary of what he's been talking about. He says, therefore, God the Father exalted Jesus to the highest place. Jesus was given a name that's above every name. Jesus had traveled from heaven to earth and back to heaven's throne forever. His humility having been expressed in his sacrifice. And with what result? redemption for the world a world brought back into the family of God each of us can reflect upon what Paul has shared in these verses and ask the question what will the result be from my humble living in this world 
How will God use me as I follow Jesus' example? Well, I want to suggest a place to start. There's a spot in your bulletin, one of the questions that's down near the bottom, that asks you to list all of the privilege and powers that you possess in this world. And usually when we come to an exercise like this, our first thought is, well, I don't really have a lot of privileges, and I'm not super powerful, so this probably doesn't apply very well to me, but it applies to every single one of us. Every one of us sitting in this room has a set of privileges and some powers that we exercise in this world. A lot of those privileges and some of those powers were just given to us. We were born with them by virtue of the home we were born into or the color of our skin or the social status of our family or the financial resources that we have in this world. Some of them we've also earned. We've educated ourselves and we've achieved things in our, in our world, in our work, in our family life and, and we enjoy certain powers and privileges because of that. What Jesus gave up when he was incarnate, when he descended from the heavenly heights onto this earth was all of the privileges and powers that he held. And he did this to become an example for us. He did this so that he could love the world in a particular way and win us back, make us members of the family once again. And so as we look to Jesus as our ultimate example, I think this exercise is important for each of us. To sit down to take time this coming week and it's not going to be just five minutes. It's going to take a little deeper thought and exercise than that to really list out what are the privileges that I wake up each day and enjoy as I move about this world. And what are the powers that I've been given and the powers that I've earned that I exercise as I go through my daily rhythm? Once you've identified those powers and privileges, the question becomes, what would it look like in my Christian living, if I began to empty myself of these, if I began to set these down, if I were willing to not use that, or if I'm going to use it if I made sure I used it for others and not for myself. I opened my scope of living to make sure I was caring for everyone around me, that no task and no human being would ever be beneath me because I hold loosely to the powers and the privileges I've been given because I want to live in the Jesus way. I want to live in this powerful way that Jesus lived in his humility. So begin to pray through that this week. It's not something you'll be asked to share publicly. It's not something you need to do anything with other than sit with Jesus and walk your way through this. Because I believe that when it comes to the type of attitude adjustment Paul is suggesting here and the example that is held up of Jesus, until we prepare ourselves to release these kinds of things, we'll never be able to walk the way Jesus walked or love the way Jesus loved. But when we do, it transforms us, it transforms the people around us, and it helps the world to see what God's love really is looks like. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, it is overwhelming to imagine all that you relinquished. We can hardly 
uh, think of what it might look like for us to relinquish some of these privileges and powers that we enjoy. And so to imagine you stepping down from the Godhead into humanity, emptying yourself of all of the power and privilege you had in order to live as a servant and to become a sacrifice. It is a bit overwhelming for us. But I pray you would help us to see our lives and all that we enjoy in this world through your eyes. That you would help us to see, even as we sit with you for a bit and we pray through all of that power and privilege we enjoy, help us to imagine with your imagination what it might look like to set these things down, to hold to them loosely, to utilize all that we've been given and even all that we've earned to live for you and to live for others in this world. You have set the example, Jesus, and we desire to follow in your footsteps. Please empower us as we do. I pray all of these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.